Welcome to the Abundant Life Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by our guest speaker. For more information about Abundant Life Church, please visit www.abundantlifechurch.org. Just very quickly, of course, tonight we have, we are so excited to have Brother Mackey with us, and he's going to minister in just a moment. Um, Thursday night, we have Celebrate Recovery at 6.30. Uh, if you uh, can remember this, Sunday morning, we have a continental breakfast from 8.30 to 9.30. We do not have Sunday school. We only have the 10 o'clock service, Okay. Um, Angela, what time? Music team. Choir at nine, okay? I think that's really all we need to know. Uh, we are sharing Brother Mackey this week. He's going to be preaching two nights for uh, Brother Meyer in Hartford, so we want to pray for those services as well, okay? Let's stand together. Brother Mackey, we are so honored to have you with us. We're going to take communion at the end of this service. And I know that Brother Mackey is going to preach an anointed word tonight. Let's get behind the word of God and the man of God. Well, praise the Lord, everybody. Good to see you in the house of the Lord on this Wednesday night. And uh, appreciated having prayer for those that had needs tonight because it's always in order you know the Lord does the Lord loves to touch people he loves to forgive people he loves to fill people with the spirit and that's why we are here tonight so it is again my privilege and honor to be in this pulpit for the 92nd time all right we're almost to 100 all right so 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 if Jesus tarries, maybe we'll hit 100. Plus, I just turned 71, so if I live that long, I'll do it. But anyway, it's a, but, but we have great love and appreciation for this church. And, and I don't know if I could express to this church and to Brother Kylie and Sister Kylie how much I respect them and admire them for the consistency through all the years. Amen. And... Uh, and, and he really is a very good friend. He has, uh, he has wisdom, and he has common sense, and he has the Holy Ghost. That's a good combination, you know, really, all right? So, uh, but anyway, uh, so it's my desire to be a blessing to all of you tonight from the Word of the Lord and Sunday also. And uh, Sister Mackey sends her greetings. We're kind of having, they're kind of having a little family get-together on Sunday also. And... Uh, and I'm glad we prayed for the sick because before we pray tonight, Sister Mackey just had a routine doctor visit yesterday and, uh, and, and uh, something caused her blood pressure to spike very, very high. In fact, the doctor wanted her to go to the hospital immediately. Of course, I was, I was already driving over here to Wisconsin. And, uh, but this has happened before and, and we don't know why it happens, but but the fact that the doctors kind of get nervous and afraid, you know, it kind of transmits to you, you know. And so right now, could we just pray for Sister Mackey that God would touch this condition? God, we pray right now in Jesus' name, God, that you would right now. 
God, let your virtue touch my wife right now, Lord. Take away the fear. And again, Lord, that you would, God, just again heal completely, God, whatever causes this. God, for your glory and for your honor. In the name of Jesus, thank you, Lord, for your stripes, for your power, for your virtue. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In Jesus' name. All right, let's open our Bible, shall we, to the book of Jude? To the book of Jude, way back, right before the book of Revelation. And there's only one chapter in Jude. So I guess we'll turn to chapter one. Okay, all right. It's exciting to come back to this church and see new faces every time I stand in this pulpit. Really, amen. God's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Amen. And, uh, but if you are a guest or a visitor here tonight or your first time here, I welcome you to this service. And, and I pray that the word of the Lord will be meaningful and easy to understand and that it would minister to your life. All right, the book of Jude... Verse 1, Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ, and brother of James, to them that are sanctified by God the Father, and preserved in Jesus Christ, and called, mercy unto you, and peace and love be multiplied. Verse 3, beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. For there are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men, turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord, Jesus Christ. Then in verse 20 of the book of Jude, verse 20, but ye, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost. Keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. And if some have compassion, making a difference, and others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. And that last phrase in verse 23 is simply saying, hating anything that spots the garment hating anything that spots the garment, because we're going to talk about garments tonight. You may be seated in Jesus' name. Now in verse 3 when it says beloved, that's the church. That's individuals that have repented of sins, baptized in Jesus' name for the remission of those sins, and having received the Holy Ghost with the Bible evidence of speaking with other tongues. So Jude says, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was necessary for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. The book of Jude was written just approximately 25 years after the day of Pentecost, after the outpouring of the Holy Ghost. But Jude said, just 25 years after the outpouring of the Holy Ghost, he said, I wanted to write to you of the common salvation, but it was necessary 
for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. Now he said the common salvation. I've been to London, England various times to minister the word of God and all the parks are called commons. The reason they are called commons because it's a common piece of ground. No one particularly owns it and everyone has access to this piece of ground. Whether you're educated or uneducated, regardless of skin color, regardless of, your, uh, in, uh, regardless of your wealth, poor or rich, everyone has access to that piece of ground. It's a common piece of ground. This is a common salvation. Everybody has access to this salvation. Amen. Regardless of skin color, whether you're rich or poor, educated or uneducated, God wants to save people. But why was it necessary to exhort them to contend, you know, to, to earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints just 25 years after the day of Pentecost? It tells us in verse 4, because there are certain men that crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation. They are not godly men. They are ungodly men. They are wolves in sheep's clothing. They are counterfeit Christians. They look like one thing, but they really are another. I was at the place where I, where I, do, my, where I do my banking at the Fifth Third Bank. And so it's, it's just a little branch bank up where I live, and they know me well, and I know them well. So I'm doing my transaction here, and at the next little booth, the bank manager, the branch manager, and these two tellers were studying something. And the branch manager said, hey, Jonathan, have you ever seen a counterfeit $50 bill? And I said, to be honest, I haven't seen that many real $50 bills, you know. <laughs> He said, come here and look at it. And here were three $50 bills. There was no way I could tell that they were counterfeit and false. And I looked at them and studied them. They even had a magnifying glass. And I mean, I didn't know what I was looking for, but folks, but, but it wasn't real and they were counterfeit. And that's what, that's what happened in the church just 25 years after the day of Pentecost, there were individuals that were ungodly men. And the reason we know they were ungodly because they were turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness, or which is still liberty to live your life after the appetites of the flesh. Now, I'm thankful for grace tonight because there would be no salvation without grace. Amen. Folks, salvation did not bring grace. Grace brings salvation. Grace is receiving benefits and blessings that we do not deserve at all. But they were turning the grace of God into lasciviousness by saying, you know what? God loves you so much, you can still just live any way you want to live, have any action you want to act, any action you want to, you know, you want. You can live any way you want to live. But folks, you got to keep balance in the word of God. You know what? The grace of God teaches us that we should live soberly and godly. Amen. In this present world, the Bible also says God is angry with the wicked every day. But the reason they could say God loves you so much that they deny 
the only Lord God and our Lord, Jesus Christ. It is not by chance that the term Lord is used twice in the same phrase. And in both cases, it means supreme authority to be called Mr. with great respect. Listen, in the church you are in tonight, when we say he is Lord, it is not just a religious phrase that we use, but he really is the supreme authority in our life. And we acknowledge him, his authority, and we respect him so much that we call him Mr. Amen, folks. He's the supreme authority. So they were denying the true lordship of Jesus Christ. So starting with verse 5, Jude describes these ungodly men that turned the grace of God into lasciviousness and who denied the true lordship of Jesus Christ. He describes them. But now in verse 20, it says, But you, beloved, the church, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost. Verse 21 says, Keep yourselves in the love of God. I've, I've heard, I, I was an assistant pastor, I was a pastor, I've been evangelizing for 41 years, and saints say, oh, keep me, God, keep me, keep me, pastor, keep me. You know what the Bible says? Keep yourself in the love of God. I mean, every time you rearrange your schedule to come to a church service, you're keeping yourself in the love of God. When you come to this altar after the service, instead of walking out the door, you're keeping yourself in the love of God. When you read this Bible every day, you're keeping yourself in the love of God. Amen. When you turn your back on the world and to give your full attention toward God, you're keeping yourself in the love of God. Keep yourself. But then it says in verse 23, it says, hating anything that spots the garment because these ungodly men that turn the grace of God into lasciviousness who deny the true lordship of Jesus Christ do not hate things that spot the garment. But the church is exhorted to hate anything that spots the garment because there's a very close connection between garments and salvation in the word of God. Now let's turn in our Bibles to the book of Mark chapter 10. To the book of Mark, chapter 10 in our Bibles. Mark chapter 10, beginning with verse 46. John, Mark chapter 10 and verse 46. And they came to Jericho, and as he went out of Jericho with his disciples, and a great number of people, blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, sat by the highway side begging. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, the son of David, have mercy on me. And many charged him that he should hold his peace. But he cried the more a great deal, the son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stood still and commanded him to be called. And they called the blind man, saying unto him, be of good comfort, rise, he calleth thee. And he, casting away his garment... And he, casting away his garment, rose and came to Jesus. And Jesus answered and said unto him, What wilt thou that I should do unto thee? The blind man said unto him, Lord, that I might receive my sight. And Jesus said unto him, Go thy way, thy faith hath made thee whole. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus in the way. Now here's Bartimaeus, a blind man. All he can do to earn a living is sit by the highway side and beg. Now in the Bible days, they did not have concrete highways, blacktop highways. They had dirty, dusty roads. And all day long, oxen, sheep, camels coming by. Folks, the most outward garment of Bartimaeus, it was polluted, stinky, dirty, and smelly. 
And now he knows Jesus is coming by. He said, have mercy upon me. And Jesus stood still and commanded him to be called. The first thing Bartimaeus did when he was coming to Jesus was get rid of that outward, polluted, stinky, filthy garment. And by getting rid of that garment, you know what he was saying? I'm going to have a new life after I meet Jesus. I'm not going to be a beggar by the road after I meet Jesus. I'm going to have a new life. So he comes and, he, and Jesus said, what do you want? He said, I want to receive my sight. Jesus said, all right. He said, receive thy sight. And Jesus said, go thy way. Thy faith hath made thee whole. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus in the way. Now, even though Jesus said, go thy way, the Bible says he followed Jesus in the way. Now, I've been, I've been raised in this. I see people, and, and listen, everybody, you know what the Bible says? And God's not impressed with the name brand clothes you have, how much money you've got in the bank, what kind of car you drive, because without Jesus, we are wretched, we are blind, and we are naked, and we are poor. We are polluted, we are spotted, we are stained with sin, amen, and the effects of the flesh in our life. But see, people come into the house of God, their marriage is on the rocks, they're messed up by drugs, they're an alcoholic, amen, because the devil comes to kill, steal, and destroy, amen, and their lives are a shambles. But see, but they come in here, and you know what? They come to an altar, and they repent of their sins, and God forgives them. They are baptized in Jesus' name and washed in the blood. They are filled, amen, by the Holy Ghost, and they begin to speak with other tongues. But I want you to know, after God puts your marriage together, after God takes the alcohol out of your life, after God takes the drugs out of your life, amen, I see people come in, and they get something from God, amen, and after they, their life is put back together, and they just leave the church. Listen, after God touches you and cleanses you, don't go your own way. Continue to follow Jesus in the way. Follow him. Now, let's turn in our Bibles to the book of Isaiah, chapter 64. But what is casting away our garment? Casting away our garment is repentance. He's coming to this altar, Lord, I don't want sin. I don't want the pollution. I don't want the filth. Get rid of the old life. Now, in the book of Isaiah, chapter 64 in our Bibles, Isaiah chapter 64, in verse 6, Isaiah chapter 64, in verse 6, it says, but we are all as an unclean thing. And all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. And we all do fade as a leaf and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. Our own righteousnesses are as filthy rags. Do you understand? Folks, people are not saved because they give their food to the hungry, money to the poor, you know, clothes to the naked. Folks, our own righteousness is as filthy rags in the sight of God. Folks, because you send boxes of clothes to the tsunami victims over there, folks, folks, it doesn't save you. Because if that's what saved us, people would be standing up all the time comparing themselves among themselves. Do you know how much money I gave to the Salvation Army this year? Do you know how many boxes of clothes I sent to the earthquake victims down in Haiti? Folks, but it's not what we have done. It's what he has done. That's what saves us. He really did die on the cross, shed his blood, amen, and he rose again. So our own righteousnesses are as filthy rags in the sight of God. Now, 
the Lord created Adam and Eve, and in the book of Genesis, the Bible is very explicit when it says Adam and Eve, they were both naked and not ashamed. So, God said you can eat of every tree, but of one tree thou shalt not eat, because you're going to surely die. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But they had never seen anyone die. They had never seen a corpse, you know, a, a tombstone, a casket. But the serpent comes and beguiles the woman and says, you're not going to die. You're going to be as gods. So Eve took a bite of that fruit and ate it. We would all be in good shape tonight if Adam had just said no. But Eve, I can hear Eve going, hey, Adam, honey, baby, honey, poo. Sometimes it's good to listen to your wife. Sometimes <laughs> maybe it isn't. Okay. <laughs> All right. That's not my sermon though. All right. Okay. All right. So they both disobeyed God. And now suddenly they saw their nakedness. And the next time God came to visit with Adam and Eve, they hid themselves. God said, why did you hide? They said, Adam said, because we were naked. God said, who told you you were naked? And they now had knowledge of good and of evil. And the Bible lets us know they made themselves aprons of fig leaves to cover their nakedness. But the Bible also lets us know God himself went out into the field and slew animals and gave them animal skins to wear. So in the very first book of the Bible, God is letting us know we cannot clothe ourselves. Our own righteousnesses are as filthy rags in the sight of God. God is the one who needs to put the garments on us, and God is the one who needs to clothe us. Now, Isaiah chapter 61 in our Bibles, Isaiah chapter 61, it says, verse 1, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to them that are bound. That's the purpose of the ministry of Jesus Christ. And this church is the body of Jesus Christ. That's the reason we are here. All right. Verse two, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all that mourn, to appoint unto them that mourn in Zion, to give unto them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment, the garment, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they might be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord that he might be glorified. Verse 10 of Isaiah 61, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God, for he hath clothed me. Because we cannot do it ourselves. He hath clothed me with the garments of salvation. He hath covered me with the robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decketh himself with ornaments, and as a bride adorneth herself with her jewels. So it says in verse 3, amen, he gives us a garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. I remember being at a revival service one time, and there was a visitor there, a guest, and I was talking to her in the, in the lobby of the church, and she said the most unique thing to me. She said, you Pentecostals sing more songs in one service than we sing in a whole month at my church. All right. Because people go to the church, and up here is a board that says hymn 6, 
you know, 612 and him, you know, 214. And they start on the first note of the first verse and stop on the last note of the last chorus. But when you come to this church, you never know how many songs we're going to sing, how many times we're going to go a cappella, how many times we're going to raise it up a half a note, how many times we're going to repeat the last line. I mean, folks, I, I've been in churches where a pastor comes and says, now, folks, before the worship leader comes, the, there's a chorus, a chorus burning in my heart, and, and, and I just think we should sing that. He can't carry a tune in the wheelbarrow, but folks, he, but he just sings it, you know? All right, and then the worship leader comes, and they sing a hymn, then they sing another hymn, then they sing a chorus, they sing another chorus, then they sing another chorus. They said, all right, we're going to have prayer for the sick now, so let's, pray, let's sing this chorus before we pray for the sick. All right, then after we pray for the sick, we sing another chorus. All right, now we're going to take the offering. Let's sing this chorus while they take the offering. All right, and now Brother Mackey's, and, and, no, excuse me, and, and now Sister So-and-So is going to come and, and sing a special song for us. All right, all right, now let's sing, a, let's sing another chorus while the choir gets ready to come up here and sing. So the choir gets up here and sings, all right, and then they sit down, and then the pastor says, let's sing another chorus before Brother Mackey comes to preach. And after I get to preaching, I'm going to sing another chorus. Amen. And the word says, how can you sing so much? It is not something we do just to make the service last longer. But one day God gave us a garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. It is in us to clap our hands. It is in us to raise our hands and worship God. Hallelujah. And the reason I know that is because every church I have, every church I go to, they have this visual aid up here. They put the words of the choruses up there, but people sit up there. They look at the words. They don't know what it means. They don't want to clap their hands. They don't want to raise their hands. Do you know why? Because they have not yet been given a garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. But folks, we know what the words mean. Amen. There's something in us. We got to clap our hands. We have to raise our hands because God has given us a garment of praise and you know what and you don't leave it here Sunday when you go home really I mean man you guys are going to work Monday morning you begin to worship the Lord and the presence of the Lord fills that car and you're behind the chain wheels and you're crying oh Lord I love you so much and you stop at the red light and the man in the and the man in the next car says oh look at that poor man over there he must really have a problem amen and he's worshiping God listen I will bless the Lord at all times, his praise shall continually be in my mouth. Yeah, let's all clap our hands for the Lord, shall we? So God gives us a garment of praise. Then it says in verse 10, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God, for he hath clothed me, because we cannot clothe ourselves. Our righteousnesses are as filthy rags in the sight of God. He hath covered me with the robe of righteousness. All right, he has clothed me with the garments, the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. Right, folks, because there's a very close connection between garments and salvation in Scripture. Now let's look at the book of Ezekiel, chapter 16. The book of Ezekiel, chapter 16, in our Bibles. 
Ezekiel chapter 16. And verse 5, God's talking to his natural people, the Jew, and this was their condition. None I pity thee to do any of these unto thee, to have compassion upon thee, but thou wast cast out in the open field to the loathing of thy person in the day that thou wast born. And when I passed by thee and saw thee polluted in thine own blood, I said unto thee when thou wast in thy blood, live. Yea, I said unto thee when thou wast in thy blood, live. Verse 8, now when I passed by thee and looked upon thee, behold, thy time was the time of love. Folks, we're living in a time of love right now. And I spread my skirt over thee and covered thy nakedness. Yea, I swear unto thee and entered into a covenant with, with thee, saith the Lord God, and thou becamest mine. Then washed I thee with water. Yea, I thoroughly washed away thy blood from thee, and I anointed thee with oil. I clothed thee also with broidered work and shod thee with badger skin and I girded thee about with fine linen and I covered thee with silk because we cannot clothe ourselves. But where were you when you came into the doors of an apostolic church? Folks, you were dying. Folks, your life was messed up. But remember you sat here and felt the presence of God touch your, and God is saying, live. Yes, you live. You don't have to die. Amen. In your sin because this is a time of love and God entered into a covenant with you. And God said, I washed thee with water. Yea, thoroughly washed away thy blood from thee. That is why there's a tank over here with water. Because do you know what? You must be baptized by immersion in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. You must be washed. Hallelujah. And then he said, and I anointed thee with oil. That's the purpose of the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. Received with the Bible evidence of speaking with other tongues. That's why in the day of Pentecost, when they said, what shall we do? Peter said, repent. Cast away the old garment. Get rid of the old life. And be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins. And ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Listen, do you know what happens when you repent and are baptized and filled with the Holy Ghost? You are not naked anymore. You have garments of salvation. You have a robe of righteousness. And you have a garment of praise. Now, the reason this church is here is so that people can have a wedding garment. In Matthew chapter 22, the master walked into a wedding feast and there was a man there with no wedding garment on and he was cast out of the wedding feast. When the prodigal son came home after living in the pig, in, in, in the pig pen, his father went and took the best robe that he had and he came and put it on his son's shoulders. Folks, because... And folks, having this robe of righteousness, amen, is connected to our salvation experience with God. So I could go even with more scriptures because there's such a close connection between garments and salvation in scripture. But now, so it's obvious we have garments. Garment of praise, robe of righteousness, garments of salvation. And the Bible tells us we should hate anything that spots the garment. Anything that detracts from the beauty of Jesus Christ that the world should see in us. Now let's turn to the book of 2 Corinthians in the New Testament. 2 Corinthians. All right, chapter 6. 2 Corinthians, chapter 6 in our Bibles. Verse 17, it says, Wherefore, come out from among them and be 
ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you, and will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. Verse 7, excuse me, chapter 7, is a continuation of chapter 6, verse 1. Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, the same beloved as in the book of Jude, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. The word perfecting means a maturing, growing, developing holiness in the reverential fear of God. You know, we cleanse ourselves. Oh, cleanse me, Brother Kylie. Cleanse me, God. Cleanse yourself. Now, the last church I pastored was in Kaiserslautern, in Germany. I was working on our military bases over there. And the first Sunday I was there, we had 48 people in church. All right. One year later, we had 163 people in church. And we had a wonderful revival. There was one four-month period where God filled 66 people with the Holy Ghost. Every service for four months, someone received the Holy Ghost. So I was also busy doing some other duties that I had in foreign missions. But now, folks, now we had all these brand new babies in the church. Right? They were all in different stages of spiritual development and growth. So I stood up on a Bible study night and I told my church, I said, church, I'm not the CIA and the FBI of the UPC. I said, I don't know you. I said, I see you Wednesday night, I see you Friday night, and I see you Sunday. I see you six hours a week. So I don't really know you. I don't know you. Because when we come to church, we're always nice, aren't we? Hi, yes, I love you. But I said, I don't know whether you kick your dog. I don't know how you treat your spouse. I don't know what you watch. I don't know what you read. I mean, I, I, don't have hidden, I don't have hidden tape recorders under the front seat of your car to see if you talk about me on the way home after church. I don't have Pentecostal spy committees and black sedans and sunglasses that follow you home after church to see if you stop in the tavern for a nip on the way home. I have no idea how you really live, but I want you to know who you are. You're the bride of Jesus Christ. He's given you beautiful garments and you should hate anything that spots the garment that God gives unto you. So we cleanse ourselves. So when your pastor or a guest minister is up here ministering the word of God and suddenly God shines the spotlight on a, gar on a little spot in your garment. Listen, don't get mad at the preacher. Don't get mad at the pastor. You know, don't stomp off the door and squeal your tires on the pavement. No, you need to come to this altar in the reverential fear of Almighty God and you cleanse yourself. God, I don't like my spirit. I don't like my attitude. I don't like this addiction. I don't like this habit. That I, so I cleanse myself from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit. Why? Because I want to hate the garment. I want to hate anything that spots the garment. Now, let's turn to the book of Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 25. It says, husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. 
that he might sanctify and cleanse it, cleanse the church with the washing of water by the word. That he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that the church should be holy and without blemish. Not only do we cleanse ourselves, but know what? We are clean through the word which God speaks unto us. Every time you come to church and this book is opened, we are washed with the washing of water by the word. Every time you come to church, it's your spiritual dry cleaning service. Yep. I remember when I lived in Eau Claire, Wisconsin, the temperature was about 20 degrees below zero in the month of January, and I took some dry cleaning to the, to the dry cleaners, and when I got there, the front door was open, the windows were open, and I told the manager, Dorothy, I said, Dorothy, it's 20 degrees below zero. Why are the windows of the door opened? And I was in there just a few moments, and suddenly all these fumes came up into my nose, and I began to cough. I said, what is that? She said, well, we spilled half of a 50-gallon drum of dry cleaning fluid in the back room, and it went everywhere. And I said, boy, is that stuff strong? No wonder they get the spots out of my clothes, you know? So every time you come to church, it's your spiritual dry cleaning service. Do you know what? This, the Word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword. It's a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. Man, I've preached revivals and I've had saints come up to the pastor and say, why did you tell Brother Mackey about me? Folks, that doesn't happen. There's something about the word of God. Folks, it has a cleansing effect on us. So therefore, the word of God comes in. And boy, I mean, what, what a beautiful dry cleaning ointment this is. Folks, I mean, it just kind of seeps in here and it reveals things in our mind and our heart about our attitude and our lifestyle. And know what? There's a, we are washed Amen. We are clean through the word of God. Yeah. Boy, the dry cleaners have these great big steam presses. You know, you put the garment on there. Yep. Move it a little bit. There's a wrinkle. Nope, it's still there. Is that how preaching seems to you sometimes? Take it easy, Brother Kylie. Nope, there's still a wrinkle there. You need to say, preach to me, pastor. Preach to me, evangelist. No spot, no wrinkle, no blemish, no such thing. You understand? We hate anything that spots the garment. Folks, you need preaching of the word of God. I need preaching of the word of God. Now let's turn to the book of Revelation, chapter 19. Revelation, chapter 19 in our Bibles. Revelation chapter 19 and verse 7. Revelation chapter 19 and verse 7 says, Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him for the marriage of the Lamb has come. There's going to be a wedding. And his wife, that's the church, hath made herself ready. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, the same linen from Ezekiel chapter 16, that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white, for the fine linen is, is the righteousness of the saints. Do you know why linen is, do you know why God puts linen on us? Because I've discovered that it's one of the strongest of all natural fibers. It can take wear and tear. It is resistant to stains and linen in its whiteness. When it gets dull 
and, 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 begins, and, and begins to fade, you can take linen out and hang it on the clothesline and expose it to the sun. And by the end of the day, it's whiter and brighter. God puts linen on us. And folks, and when, you're, and when your Christianity begins to fade and you begin to lose your luster, you need to come to God's house and expose yourself to the sun of righteousness and you can leave here whiter and brighter and because God loves you that much. And now he tells us in the book of Revelation, there's going to be a wedding. Let's be glad and rejoice. Now I want you folks to know that God's not nervous tonight. He's not. He's not up in heaven. Just wringing his hands. Oh, what am I going to do? Everything is such a mess. Oh. Every TV program has a homosexual character on it now. And, and Iran's going get to the, get the nuclear bomb. And China has our secrets. And Hillary's on the horizon. I mean, I mean, I mean, I mean what are we going to do? Folks, do you know what? The Bible says when you see all these things happening, lift up your head. And rejoice, because your redemption is drawing nigh. Hallelujah. And God does not want us to be nervous either. Oh, boy, the world's getting so bad, it's getting worse. I don't know what I'm going to do. No, folks, let's be glad and rejoice, because the marriage of the Lamb has come. I mean, I'm getting married in the morning. Ding dong, the bells are going to chime. Let's be glad and rejoice, because there's going to be a wedding. Now, Sister Mac and I have one daughter who was married on, on the Saturday morning after Thanksgiving Day. All right. And we had a wedding that took place at 11 a.m. in the morning. It was called the morning wedding. All right. So we had the wedding at 11. All right. We had the reception at 1. And we all collapsed at 4. All right. But, all right. All right. So the wedding is at 11 a.m., and my alarm goes off at 6 a.m. Because I'm at the church at 7 a.m. to unlock the door for my daughter and her bridesmaids. Now, I never entitle my messages. I could entitle this one. I won't entitle this this way. But I could entitle this message, How long does it take to put on one dress? Really? How long does it? I mean, you Pentecostal ladies can oversleep, wake up, amen, put your hair in a bun, throw on a, a dress, put on your scrippers, and run off the door in 10 minutes. How long does it take to put on one dress? Folks, it's 7 a.m., and the, and the wedding is at 11. But this isn't, this isn't just any dress. This is the wedding dress. And this is not just any day. This is the wedding day. So the first thing we did at my daughter's wedding was saying, all hail the power of Jesus' name, let angels prostrate fall. So now it's about 8.30, quarter to nine, and, and I was in the church, and I could, I could hear my daughter and the bridesmaids singing, all hail the power of Jesus' name, let angels prostrate fall. And I remember knocking on the door, and I said, hey, Becky, it's Dad. I just want to see you for a minute. And I went to open up the door, and they slammed the door, and my daughter said, you can't see me yet. And I paid for the dress. <laughs> I gave it to her. I granted it to her. But the little bit the door was open, steamers were going, irons were going. Do you know why? 
Because she's the bride. No spot, no wrinkle, no blemish. Even in the world, whether saint or sinner, and someone went to a wedding in the world, here comes the bride. And people look and they're in shock because the bride is not washed. The bride is dirty. The, the, the bride is unclean. The bride is wrinkled. Even the world would say, what kind of bride is that? And I want you folks to know God's going to have a bride that is glorious, that is washed, that is anointed with no spot and no wrinkle and no blemish. Let's be glad and rejoice for the marriage of the Lamb has come. Now, my daughter had a, had a long distance relationship all right, with, with the man she married. He lived in Michigan. She lived in Eau Claire, Wisconsin. All right? And so I was preaching a revival at this church, and the pastor has known my daughter since she was, you know, nine years old. And he said, Brother Mackey, do you have a picture of Becky? And I said, yeah. And, and I showed him the latest picture I had of my daughter. And Kevin was walking by. And he said, hey, Kevin, this is the girl for you. So that was the first week of revival. And he just looked and said, we're now after the second week of revival. On the Sunday night, I'm going to leave. Kevin said, Brother Mackey, do you mind if I write your daughter? And I said, Kevin, I have no objection to that. But whether she answers you or not, you know, that's up to her, you know. So three weeks later, my daughter gets a letter from Kevin. And she's excited. She said, Dad, he knows how to spell. <laughs> that's what she said. So she answered him. And for all these young people here, there was no texting. There was no cell phones. You know, there was, I mean, I don't even think kids today know how to spell or write. I had to buy the, the Bible of texting abbreviations because I don't know what LOL means, you know? Really, kids don't even talk today. But she wrote them back. All right, then he writes again and she writes them back and they write again, they write back. And then there's the first phone call. Okay, there's still letters, but now there's phone calls, not texting, talking. So after about another period of time of phone calls, Kevin calls me and says, hey, Brother Mackey, I have a cousin that lives in Wisconsin. I've never met him. You know, he's my fifth cousin 20 times removed or something, okay. But he said, I thought I'd come over to Wisconsin and meet my cousin. And since I'm in the state, I may as well just come and meet your daughter. I was young once. I knew what's going on. Because his cousin lives over here by the lake, and we live over in Eau Claire. So he comes over and spends 30 minutes with his cousin, and then travels to Eau Claire. All right. So he's there a night, a day, and a night, and leaves. But after that, folks, it was just like a snowball that was picking up momentum down the hill, you know. And so, and so then, you know, it, it gets serious, and. Uh, Kevin asked my daughter to marry him, and she said yes. So Kevin, so we're having the wedding the Saturday after Thanksgiving, and we're having his whole family together on Thanksgiving Day, and we're having the rehearsal Friday night. But on the Tuesday before Kevin left Michigan to come to Wisconsin, there was 27, listen, everybody, there was 27 long-distance phone calls between Kevin and my daughter. 
27. The closer they were getting to the wedding day, they did not talk less, they talked more. Folks, this is not the time to talk to God who asks. We're closer to the wedding day. It's the time to talk more. More. Now, we have a long-distance relationship. P Peter says, whom having not seen, we love him. I've never seen him, but I love him. But have you ever read the letters that he sends you? He knows how to spell, too. He does. Yeah. I will never leave you and never forsake you. Yep. I will supply all your needs according to my riches and glory. And when I am your shepherd and you shall not lack. A mother will forsake her baby, but I will never forsake you. My name is a strong tower and you can run into it and you're going to be safe. I love reading these letters. I love it. So now, folks, we have a long-distance relationship. But you know what? I've heard his voice. I have felt his caress. I've read the letters. And I'm so glad that he ever asked me to be his bride and to marry him. And the Bible says that his wife hath made herself ready. That is why for every saint of God in here, young person, old, you know, older person, new convert, saint in many years, listen, you need to know what to answer this world. They say, come on, let's go to the casino Saturday night. Boy, I wish I could, but Brother Kylie won't let me. Hey, who's that? He's my pet. Well, boy, thanks for letting me know. Come on, have a cigarette. Oh, no, my church won't let me. Well, what church is that? The Abundant Life. Boy, thanks for telling me. I'm not going there. No, you don't answer that. Come on, let's go to the casino. No, I'm not going. Why not? Because I'm getting married. Come on, have a cigarette. Uh-uh. I'm getting married. Why do you dress modestly? I'm getting married. Why do you go to church so much? I'm going, I'm getting married. No, what's happening? His wife is making herself ready. Ready. Folks, this is not the time to see how close you can live to the world. It's time to see how close you can live to Jesus Christ. Right? When you come to this altar, when you're faithful to church, you are making yourself ready. Let's be glad and rejoice because the marriage of the Lamb is come. Hallelujah. Now, Sister Mackie and I, you know, give marriage seminars, and, and I mean, there's people that specialize on that in that, but we've been married 50 years, so I think we might have something to say. But, you know, but, but one of our workshops is, is, is on emotional distancing, how a husband and wife can sleep in the same bed, eat at the same table, sit in the same living room, but they're, they're a million miles apart. You know, emotional distancing. Folks, don't let spiritual distancing happen to you. I mean, you're in God's house. Well, Lord, I don't like what you're doing. I don't like how you answered that prayer. Lord, why don't you answer that prayer? You know, and, there, and, and there's some just frustration and disagreement in your spirit with God. Don't be emotionally distanced from God because he loves you and he does all things well. He does all things well. Now, I remember uh, you know, about seven years ago or I don't know, maybe four years ago, it was, a, it was going to be our wedding anniversary. And I admit to you, you know, I always, we always want to be together on our anniversary. But I was preaching a minister's conference in, in Pennsylvania, all right? And 
our anniversary, I was there Wednesday through Sunday and our anniversary was on Friday. So I get in the car early Wednesday to leave, you know, to drive to Pennsylvania because I had a six and a half hour drive and I was preaching that night. So I said, hey, Judy, I said, listen, we're going to celebrate our anniversary big time when I get home Monday. But I said, right now, let's go to McDonald's. Okay. All right. And we always get the two cheeseburger meal, you know, that health food meal. Okay. All right. Two cheeseburger meal with a medium fry and a medium diet Coke. All right. So we each had the cheeseburger. We shared our fries. We had the Coke with two straws. And so where our foreheads are just touching each other and we're just sipping our Diet Coke. I mean, and we're just talking. But it was one of those unpremeditated, unrehearsed, just spontaneous conversations. And we started to talk about evangelizing. If I wrote a book on, if I wrote a book on this, I'd call it the agony and the ecstasy. All right, because there's so much ecstasy, but there's a little bit of agony. And we talked about churches that... that I mean, you know, we would just minister to them and bring ourselves out like a wash rag and just leave. But other churches ministered to us. Man, they might have helped us with their dry cleaning, fixed our tires, or, you know, brother and sister Mackie didn't need anything right now, and they ministered to us. I remember this one church where sister Mackie and I would get up and we'd teach our daughter school, you know, and, and we'd come home from the church back to the pastor's house at 3.30 in the afternoon, and there was no supper. And the pastor would say, hey, brother and sister Mackie, my wife and I just went out and to a restaurant, had a nice meal. But listen, if you can find anything in the refrigerator, you know, they may fix it. It's all yours. And, you know, and, and then they did that again. So after that, we just bought groceries and kept them at the church and, you know, used the church kitchen. And one day we came home and the pastor said, brother Mackie, my wife and I just went to a Chinese restaurant and it was so good. But he said, we brought you a, sup a supper and it was a brown bag. And inside folks were two bottles of seven up and some snicker bars. You know, when you're experiencing it, it's not funny though. Okay. Really? So that, I mean, a preacher did this, but then down South man, this one church gave us gave us a, a charge account at the grocery store and, and a charge account at three restaurants. Brother Mackey, have steak every day if you want it. We don't want you to pass out when you're in the pulpit. Eat, you know? So we talked about the agony and the ecstasy, you know? But you know what happened when we were talking? We felt the Holy Ghost. We felt the presence of God so strong. I had tears and Sister Mackey had tears and we were talking and said, but the Lord has always been there and always supplied our needs. Thank you, Jesus. And then Sister Mackey said the most beautiful thing to me. She said, Jonathan James Mackey? And I said, yes, ma'am. She says, knowing everything that I know about you and what this life was going to take us and what was going to happen. She said, if I knew all that, she said, if you asked me to marry you again, I'd still say yes. I said, thank you, Mrs. Mackey. You know, but folks, the Lord asked me to marry him. Folks, really, I mean, 58 years ago, I took his name. Amen. He gave me the earnest of my inheritance. He, I, you know, and I can look back over my shoulder and say, Lord, 
sometimes you've answered my prayers instantly. Other times I've got so many messages on your answering machine. I didn't know if you're ever going to get back to me. Sometimes you opened up the waters and I marched through. Sometimes I struggled to get through the stream. But Lord, I want you to know everything I know about you and everything you've done for me. I want to tell you this, Lord. If you ask me to marry you again, I would still say yes. Because Jesus is the best thing that ever happened to me. Hallelujah. Folks, Amen. you're not just a little apostolic. You are the bride of Jesus Christ. So there's going to be a wedding. You know what? You know when the wedding starts? When the bride is ready. Do you understand that? When the bride is ready. So, da, 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 da. Here comes the bride and everyone stands. And everyone turns and they're, crank, you know, just straining to see the bride. No one's looking at the groom. They're all looking at the bride. All right? But do you know where the bride is looking? Right at that groom. And do you know what? When God brings his church to glory. Do you know what? All, all the angels. God's going to say, here's my, they're all looking at you and me. But do you know who, where you and I are looking? I'm not going to look at the gates of pearl or the streets of gold just to behold his face, just to look into the eyes of the one who cared for me and loved me. And oh, folks, it's a privilege to be the bride of Christ. So let's be glad and rejoice. Amen. Let's stand, shall we? Let's raise our hands and love the bridegroom for a moment. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. 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 Jesus, 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 Jesus. Hallelujah. Revelation chapter 3 and verse 4. Thou hast a few names, even in Sardis, which have not defiled their garments. They shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. Solomon, the wisest preacher who ever lived outside of Jesus Christ, in Ecclesiastes chapter 9 and verse 8 says, Let your garments be always white. Let not your head lack ointment. Hey, everybody. Amen. Hate anything that spots the garment. Don't ever lose the touch of the Holy Ghost. Amen. And do you know what? Do you know why Jesus came and died and shed his blood and rose again? Folks, that's what makes us clean. The word of God, these garments washed in the blood of the lamb. Folks, the fine linen and the righteousness, the garment, amen, of praise. So we're going to just sing this chorus just two times and then I'm going to have Brother Kylie come up here and folks, because there would be we would not even be here. There would not be a church. There would not be a bride. There would not be a beloved except for what Jesus Christ has done for us. Amen. Thank you for listening to this Abundant Life Church podcast. We pray it has strengthened your relationship with God and will continue to be a light unto your pathway to heaven. If you have any questions or comments regarding this podcast, please telephone our ministerial team at 262 
965-5177 or email us at info at AbundantLifeChurch.org.